Welcome into the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Irving, alongside NBA.com Scott Rafferty, and we're here to break down the Raptors' three-game win streak, a disappointing loss to the Miami Heat, and do a little look forward into the rest of the season and see what we think this Raptors team is capable of. Before we get going, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, it's been an interesting season so far for the Raptors, and it continues to surprise me. Yeah, and that's the thing with the Raptors. I mean, last time we checked in with them, it was the 10-game check-in, and there was... Uh, you know, not a lot to talk about. It was a, they were two and eight at that point. We were kind of looking forward to this upcoming stretch, uh, calling it an important upcoming stretch, which seems like we're saying that about every stretch of the season so far, because <laughs> that's just, you know, they got behind the eight ball early and that's kind of where they're at now. But before we even talk about the Miami Heat and that that tough loss, we have to talk about the three game win streak, because when we have an opportunity to talk about good things that, that are going on for the Raptors this season, we kind of have to uh, drive that home because otherwise we're just make up good things that are happening. So what were some of your takeaways from the three-game win streak? What what looked good? What looked bad? And, and do you think that that's the type of team that we should expect uh, moving forward? Or do you feel like they were overachieving a little bit? Yeah, the, the last part is, is an interesting question because I feel like even even to this point of the season, well, like we're nearing the, the, what, the quarter mark of the season and I still feel like I don't have a good grasp on this Raptors team. Because even in that three-game win streak, they beat the Hornets in that first game but Gordon Haywood wasn't playing. Um, and they also gave up a huge lead in the fourth quarter because they went ice cold. Game two, it was also close. But they, and then game three, it, it kind of felt, they felt like that, that Raptors defensive juggernaut again. Um, but it's worth keeping in mind the Mavericks were on the second out of a back-to-back. So I, I think you have to kind of take what happened in those, those games with a grain of salt. But in saying that, I mean, Chris Boucher was awesome during that stretch. He's continued his really strong play. I know he came kind of back down to earth against the Heat. But he's been in the brightest spot through everything we've seen over the last month, basically. Um, Norman Powell played well in that second game against the Hornets. And like I said, that, that game against the Mavericks, it kind of felt like they found their d- defensive identity. And I know there was a lot of talk after the game about that. Stanley Johnson, specifically the way that he defended Luka. And obviously, it wasn't just him. It's, it's, it's a team like he liked. Like he reminded everyone after the game, it wasn't just him. But this team, as currently constructed, is always going to be limited offensively. And I think for them to kind of be the team that we thought they could be this season, whether it's, you know, a four, five or six seed in the East, you need to five, 10 defense. Um, and that's just been a little up and down this season. So I think that's one thing that they kind of caught my eye in that game and, and hopefully something they can kind of capture moving forward. I asked you the question if, if I think that this is a team that uh, we or what we should expect from this team moving forward or if they're overachieving in, in, you answer that and I, myself, I still don't even really know the answer to that question. <laughs> I mean, watching those games, sometimes you're like, all right, here they are. They're like you said, they're pulling it together a little bit more defensively. And sometimes the offense doesn't look as stagnant as it does at other times. And I'm just trying to get a grasp on what's going on with this team. And I think part of that has to do with the rotation. I think part of that has to do with Nick Nurse, not necessarily trusting guys off the bench just yet. He hasn't, he hasn't figured out what works and what doesn't. He hasn't really found the lineups that are clicking the way that he's done in in the past two seasons. So I think for me, that's what's hardest to decipher with this team is trying to figure out uh, at what point are they going to have some continuity? At what point are lineups going to flow and and players are going to click alongside each other? And I don't think we necessarily saw that over the three-game win streak. I think we saw it was more a product of Chris Boucher playing a little bit better, Norman Powell playing a little bit better. Like you said, Stanley Johnson gave him good minutes. And when they get good minutes from those guys off the bench, this looks like a completely different team because we're going to talk about Pascal, but Fred and OG have both been solid. Kyle Lowry gives you exactly what you expect him to give. 
and, and Pascal has had some strong games. So, you know, those four players are going to bring it. It's just, what are you going to get from the other guys? And I want to highlight Chris Boucher a little bit because he has just been ridiculous this season. He's been the Raptors saving grace and that's not even hyperbole. Like he, I'm not sure where the Raptors would be without Chris Boucher's production this year. I mean, right now, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it that crazy to say he's a six man of the year candidate and a most improved player of the year candidate? I think six man of the year, I'd probably have Jordan Clarks and most improved. I, I might still lean a little bit towards Christian Wood, uh, but, but I think if, you know, if the season ended today, which is an outrageous statement considering, you know, only 20 games in or whatever, I, I do think Chris Boucher would be a finalist for both those awards because um, he showed flashes last season. There were so many times it felt like there were a number of times like that Dallas game comes to mind where he just completely changed a game with his energy off the bench um, and give the, the Raptors an injection on both ends of the court. Um, he wasn't consistent, though. And then that, that's been the big thing for me this year is that he's basically brought it every single night. Um, on both ends, he still has some work to do defensively, but he's, he's, I think before yesterday's game, he was like third in the league in blocks. Um, and he led the league in block threes, which is one of my favorite stats to kind of keep track of and kind of speaks to his versatility. But it's also his offense. Um, and in particular, his ability to knock down threes at a high volume because that's something they really miss not having Marcus on such a back on this, on this roster this season. Uh, Aaron Baines was, we kind of thought he'd be able to, to fill that gap as a floor spacing five after the year that he had last year, which was a career year from three. And that just hasn't happened yet. So as long as Chris Boucher can kind of keep doing those things, um, I mean, he's, he's worked his way into more minutes. He's earned it. Uh, it. It's crazy to think that right now he has the third best player efficiency rating in the entire league. The only guys ahead of him are Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Um, PER is, is by no means the perfect stat, but for Boucher to rank third in that is outrageous. And again, speaks to how good he's been. But as I said, he, he, he's been without a shadow of a doubt, the bright spot for the Raptors so far this season. I think that at the beginning of the season, if we had said that Chris Boucher would be mentioned in the same sentence as Nicole Jokic or Joel Embiid in any stat, <laughs> yeah. it could be any stat possible. We would think the Raptors would probably be in a little bit better of a spot than they are right now. I think one of the favorite, one of my favorite stats that I saw floating around on Twitter this past week, and it, it may have changed after uh, he kind of took a step back a little bit in that Miami game, but per 48 minutes, Chris Boucher was leading the NBA in win shares. And it, it's, it's such an abstract stat at this point of the season, uh, really at any point of the season. But for Chris Boucher to be leading the NBA in win shares at any point is is pretty remarkable. I'm with you. I think Jordan Clarkson's the front runner right now for six man of the year. I think you can make the case for Christian Wood. You can make the case for, uh, there's a bunch of guys. Jalen Brown's playing really well. Um, that, that could be in that most improved player of the year conversation. But I think that he really is a part of both of those conversations. And if he continues to play as well as he has, uh, then I, I think that Chris Boucher will find his name in you know maybe one of those awards uh, towards the back end of the season. But, I mean, there's still a lot of games to be played. He needs to, needs to maintain that level, show a little bit more consistency. But I guess that kind of brings me to the next question, which I feel like we're almost talking. We, we, Gil and I talked about it last time on the 10-game check-in, and it, it's definitely time to revisit this question again. And it's, should Chris Boucher start? Because right now, the, they're not, the Raptors aren't getting a ton from their bench. Uh, you know, Even though they're ranked 12th in the league right now per hoop stats, in bench scoring, a lot of that is because Chris Boucher. And if you were to take Chris Boucher off of the bench, the Raptors would be dead last in bench scoring and it wouldn't even be close. And obviously if you were to take, you know, the leading bench scorer off of any bench in the league, they'd probably drop close to the bottom of the NBA in bench scoring. But 
it still says something that the Raptors would be dead last and it wouldn't even be close if you were to take Chris Boucher. And even flipping with Aaron Baines, they would still be in dead last. So I, I raised the question to you. Do you believe that Chris Boucher should start or do you think that he's in the right role right now? I think he's in the right role right now. Um, it's a tricky question because the Raptors have, without a shadow of a doubt, been their best with Boucher at center on the court this season. And you, you naturally think that that's enough of a reason for him to start. But I do think, like you said, it's important for them to have someone off the bench who can change a game, bring some energy that they need. Um, and I also think he's going to be more productive off the bench than, like you said, Aaron Baines would. And I think Aaron Baines has a much better chance of kind of finding his rhythm with the starting unit than he does coming off the bench. One particular stat that I've been tracking since the start of the season, and it is the, the one knock against Boucher and starting him, is that Toronto's defensive rebounding percentage with him on the court is 68.8%. That would be the lowest in the league. Um, you know, Boucher is a great shot blocker. He can guard multiple positions, everything like that. He's still slight, I think is the, the nice way of putting it for a center. Obviously, you know, you're, you're giving up something by having Baines out there. We just said, like, he's not shooting the ball well. He's not giving them much offensively. He's not even, you know, an elite defender or anything like that. Um, but I think that's the, that's the one thing the Raptors are missing or losing if they start Boucher. Um, and that alone isn't enough of a reason to continue bringing him off the bench. But I think when you package that together with basically everything you just said, I, I do think for this team right now, um, I, I do ultimately think he, he's probably better suited to come off the bench. I'm going to agree with you there just because, and I, I gave Carlin a shout out on this one last week when we did the 10 game check-in uh, that he's been harping upon it all year that, you know, you're kind of maximizing what you can get out of Boucher with his role off the bench where if you were to play him starter minutes, that's when you kind of get into the danger zone of you're going to start to see his flaws uh, appear a little bit more frequently. And I think that that's, I think that's valid. I think that even though Aaron Baines hasn't you know, been the, the uh, perfect storm for the Raptors so far, and obviously they just waived Alex Len, so that wasn't really working out. They're still trying to figure out how to make up for uh, what they lost in Ibaka and Gasol in the offseason. I'm not sure just rushing Boucher into the starting lineup is, is the answer, even though last week, I had said that he's the best center on the on the roster, which should mean that he should be the starter. And and I I I'm acknowledging that I said that, I'm going to walk that one back because I really do think that the Raptors are going to get the most out of him uh, with his role off the bench. But that brings us to the next question of what to make of the bench and the rotation. Because like we said, it's it's not clicking right now. Uh, there are some games where it's Terrence Davis, some some games where it's Norm Powell. Uh, Boucher has obviously been, you know, more of a constant, but whether it's Stanley Johnson, Malachi Flynn, uh, Yuta Watanabe has gotten some playing time off the bench. It seems like Nick Nurse is really just trying to plug and play these players and, and try and figure out what pieces fit in the puzzle. And he hasn't been able to kind of make that puzzle work just yet. So I, I don't expect you to have all the answers to the que this question, because if you did, you'd probably be somewhere on the Raptors coaching staff. <laughs> but what do you make of the bench in, in the rotation? And what do you think that Nick Nurse could be doing uh, either better or differently to try and get these players into more of a rhythm. It has been weird because I feel like you, you don't really know what... It's pretty safe to assume that Chris Boucher is going to be the first person off the bench um, and Norman Powell between the two of them. But after that, like it, it seems like every single game, I have no idea who's going to be next off the bench. It's, it could be Yuta Watanabe one game, Stanley Johnson the next. We haven't seen Matt Thomas basically since the start of the season, um, which is interesting because I, I think he's probably their best pure shooter on the roster. And especially a game against like the Miami Heat when they play zone, um, you'd think that that would just make him an easy, an easy pick uh, to come off the bench. So, you know, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry have been a little bit up and down, Pascal Siakam as well. 
Um, and it doesn't help that Norman Powell, I mean, Norman Powell was, we were just speaking about six men of the year and MIP candidates. He was a candidate for both last season. And this season, he's just got off a slow start. He's shooting the three well, but his two-point percentage has absolutely plummeted. Um, he made 57.5% of his two-point field goals last season. That's down to 39.3% uh, right now. Um, he's just not finishing anywhere inside the three-point line. And obviously, they really need him to step up off the bench because I do think one of the things with Chris Boucher, as good as he's been this season, I, I do think a regression is coming eventually. So I, it's just a question of how much he's going to fall. Um, I wrote about this recently. Even if he's a, an above-average three-point shooter, that would be huge for the Raptors. Um, but before this season, he's been well below average. So I, I do think a, a decline is coming for him at some point. How much of a decline remains to be seen, but I do think Powell kind of finding his rhythm and going back to the player that he was last year would obviously balance that out um, and make a huge difference for the Raptors. So I think it's just tricky because I feel like all the rest of the guys have at least one glaring weakness, right? Like Stanley Johnson, we've all known that he's he's a good defender, a very capable defender, but it's on offense where he struggles. He, he quite frankly, doesn't really give you anything on offense. Matt Thomas, it's the other way around. Uh, great shooter, you know, a guy you have to keep tabs on all the time off ball but he doesn't give you anything really defensively. Um, Yuta Watanabe is somewhere in the middle. He, he, he scraps. He's a good, versatile defender. He's also on a two-way contract, so I don't know how much... The jury is still out on how much the Raptors can really lean on him. So I, I just think some of it speaks to the, the kind of holes on this roster that they haven't found that guy after Chris Boucher and Norman Powell yet. It also just speaks to how important, I guess, Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol were last year because they kind of you know, handled that center position um, and that, that went a long way in kind of sorting out the rest of the roster, I guess. So um, maybe it's Utah. Maybe they convert him to a full, a guaranteed contract, but um, whether or not they go after a center or maybe a forward or something like that, uh, maybe that will kind of give us some indication of where, where they think they're heading with that. I think you're right there. And it kind of reminds me of what you just said, describing the bench players. It reminds me of uh, Moneyball in a sense, whether you're familiar with it from the movie standpoint or the baseball standpoint of their benches is trying to play money ball where, you know, they have one shooter, they have one defender, they have one guy that can grab some boards and bring some energy. And if, if he could just morph all those players together, they would be in a much better spot. But obviously that's not how, <laughs> that's not how life works. So he's trying to plug and play and figure out where he can go from there. The bench hasn't been great so far. They've been inconsistent, but I mean, you have seen sparks from guys uh, in giving quality minutes, like you said, Stanley Johnson against the Mavericks. Norm had a good game against the Hornets. Terrence Davis had one really good quarter last night against the Miami Heat, uh, 13 points in the second quarter. And unfortunately, he didn't really bring it after halftime. And Nick Nurse kept going back to him because he felt like, you know, that that he was the player that was going to give them the best chance off the bench to provide solid minutes. And unfortunately, Davis didn't really uh, back that up in the second half. But I think that, you know, he's just trying to figure out who's going to work out where, and maybe it's throwing the the starters into a little bit of a loop, trying to figure out uh, who they're going to be playing alongside. And they're guessing just as much as we are when he's pulling guys off the bench. But that does, I, I do want to talk about the starters because like we said, someone like OG has been awesome this season. And uh, over the last six games, he's shooting over 50% from three. He's really starting to feel his touch, become a little bit more confident as a shooter. He scored in double figures in six straight games and 11 out of 14 games this season. So he's obviously looking for a shot a little bit more. Uh, what have you seen from OG and, and how he's kind of been, I, I don't want to call him a glue guy because he's been much more than just a glue guy for the Raptors starting five. But what have you seen from OG and what do you like about uh, what he can do moving forward to kind of keep this Raptors team afloat and trying to make a playoff run? 
That's six straight games of double double figure scoring, by the way, ties a, a career mark for him. So it, it's encouraging to see that after the kind of the slow start that he had this season. And he does seem to kind of be rounding out to form now. Um, I mean, primarily defensively, you always know he's going to bring it. And it, it did show in that heat game because it just seemed like he was guarding everyone and he's just flying around everywhere. Um, and, I, and I do think he's one of the most important defensive players in the league right now, especially in a, a league that's just dominated with wings. Um, the, the big thing that's jumped out to me so far, especially over this, this recent stretch from him, is that he's taking 6.2 threes per game over the last six games, and he's making 51% of those. Obviously, that, that number is not sustainable. He's not going to make half of those threes. But I think the, the jump in volume for him uh, is definitely notable because basically prior to this season, um, he, he's been kind of a low... He's been a, a capable three-point shooter, but kind of a low-volume three-point shooter. I mean, last year, he averaged 3.3s per game, which isn't that much. Let's see OG improve off-ball. That was one of the things that kind of jumped when the season restarted. He seemed to be doing a lot more off the ball, putting the ball on the floor. There was one play when he like spun around Anthony Davis in that Lakers game that, that kind of made my jaw drop and a lot of other people's, I think. Uh, and I think that's slowly going to come for him. But as long as he continues to give you defense and he actually continues to improve as a three-point shooter, um, both efficiency and volume, I mean, that baseline for him is just so high in today's NBA because he's never going to be a number one or number two on a team, you know, a super, super valuable third or fourth option. You hit the nail on the head with how he's just kind of a jack of all trades on defense. I mean, against the Heat, he, there were possessions where he's guarding Bam at a bio, and that's why Nick Nurse didn't go to Chris Boucher or Aaron Baines as much. There's also times where he's on the wing guarding Andre Iguodala and other times, you know, when Kendrick Nunn started getting hot that he was guarding him as well. So he's kind of all over the place and it's impressive that he's able to put together any sort of offense production. It's always a plus once uh, the Raptors are getting something offensively from OG. Uh, as solid as he's been, his counterpart, Pascal Siakam, has been a little bit up and down. And Pascal got off to a slow start. And then he had a really strong stretch where he had kind of broken out of that slump that carried over from the bubble last season. And over the last couple of games, he's been struggling again. The stat that I pulled up before we started recording this podcast, and it's not a pretty one, Raptors fans, block your ears. Uh, Pascal is shooting the third worst three-point percentage in the NBA for anybody that's taken at least 53s. The only players that are shooting worse are Kelly Oubre, who got off to one of the worst starts shooting Historically the ball bad start. that anybody's Historically ever seen. Start. Terrible. Yeah. Like, guy looked like he forgot how to shoot a basketball in RJ Barrett, who is not a known shooter. So for Pascal to be mentioned in the same sentence as those guys uh, with his three-point percentage, not great. And even though he did break out of that slump a little bit, we're, we're starting to see him kind of take another step back after he took a step forward. So my question to you is, is this a player the Raptors should expect moving forward? Like is, is his inconsistencies just going to be something the Raptors are going to have to live with? And what would that mean for this team this year if they're just going to have to live with Pascal's inconsistencies? Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the three-point shooting because that's, that's the one number I wrote down as well uh, for him. And particularly the breakdown of his three-point shooting. Uh, the, a big concern is that he's shooting 26.1% on catch-and-shoot threes right now. That's worrying. The, the number that's even more worrying to me is that he's made 15.4% of his pull-up threes. And that was a huge development in his game last year. Because two years ago, the 2018-19 season, Pascal Siakam made one pull-up three the entire season, according to NBA.com stats. Last season, he made 51. So he just completely changed his shot profile as a three-point shooter. And this season, he just hasn't shown the ability to make that shot for whatever reason. And I think, you know, if teams don't have to respect him on that shot, they can sag off for him more. He's still improving as a mid-range shooter. He's, that's still a part of his game that he's working on. So he can't punish them from there. And then it makes it harder for him to get to the basket and finish over guys where he's at his best. So I think 
that that that's why that number is so concerning to me. As far as a, his inconsistencies in general go, it, it's been concerning because it did feel like after that, I think it was the first six games where he struggled. Um, he, he hit the ground running against, I want to say it was the Kings maybe, um, or the Suns. That, that, that Western Conference road trip, he kind of looked like the player that we... That, that became an all-star last year. He was aggressive. I wrote a couple things about how much better he looked as a passer. Um, he was really taking it to those teams offensively and punishing them for, for throwing extra attention at him. And, and he's just looked, he's gone down again the last few games. And I do wonder how much, he, he spoke about it after the Heat game, talking about how um, he, his groin injury is bothering him a little bit. So that could be part, part to do with it. Um, but it, it has been very weird for Pascal Siakam going so up and down. Um, and some of it's growing pains. Like it, it is important to remember that this is all very new to him. Like this is year two of him being the number one scoring option for a team. I, I don't. I did not expect him to be as up and down as he has been to start this season already. Last night's game was interesting because he came out with a little bit of energy and he had a really nice dunk on uh, rookie Precious Achilla, and that's how he tweaked his growing. He landed awkwardly and he never really looked all that engaged following that that weird fall where. Uh, he was forced to come out of the game at the end of the first quarter, but he came back in in the second quarter during his normal rotation when he would normally come into the game and he stayed in the game the rest of the way. Um, and he just didn't make much of an impact on either end of the floor. And I think part of it was the Heat's 2-3 zone kind of threw him off a little bit. He had trouble getting to his spots. Uh, I think another part of it is just as an entire team, I, I've never seen the Raptors less engaged in a game in my life. And the Heat weren't all that engaged either. It looked like it, I described it as a pillow fight in our morning meeting this morning uh, because <laughs> it didn't really look like either team cared about who won or lost the game. And maybe part of that is uh, Miami was missing key players like Tyler Harrow, Jimmy Butler, Myers Leonard, Avery Bradley. But sometimes uh, you play to your level of competition. And I think that that was an instance of that last night where maybe the Raptors felt like with all those players out of the lineup for the heat, they could kind of just go through the motions and, and still get the job done. And, you know, when it was a tie game with seven minutes, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, like I said, it just didn't really seem like not just the Raptors, but even the heat really cared who won or lost the game. And I think that, you know, if other players were adding a little bit more energy and, and maybe that could have lifted Pascal Siakam up a little bit more towards the end of the game, we could have seen a, a different result. Uh, he did have six points, I think it was, in, in the last two and a half minutes where the game was kind of already out of reach, which we've seen from him before. So it makes his stat line look a little more bolstered than it really is. But I think all in all, this this upcoming stretch, and, and like we said, we've been saying this about every upcoming stretch for the Raptors all year, is a big one for Pascal in particular because they have another matchup against the Heat coming up later on this week. And then they go to Indiana and they play against former Raptors assistant coach, Nate Bjorkren, who has that team playing at an extremely high level. And not that I think Pascal Siakam was ever going to draw the matchup against DeMont Sabonis, but uh, he dodges the bullet a little bit with Miles Turner being out with, with a hand injury. And they play the, the Pacers back-to-back, -back, uh, just like they just played the Heat back-to-back. -back. So I think that's a big stretch for Pascal because I still think that he'll see a, a decent amount of DeMont Sabonis, who's playing the best basketball of his career. So it's important for Pascal to step up there. And then uh, the fourth game in the stretch is the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, they're very familiar with the Raptors. And it's always a dogfight when those two teams come to play against each other. And, uh, I mean, you have to assume that Giannis Antetokounmpo, rating defense player of the year, is going to draw the assignment on Pascal. So it, it really is a big upcoming stretch, not just for the Raptors, but for Pascal in particular. Because if they're going to get the season back on track, it's going to start with him getting his play back on track. Uh, Kyle and Fred are both, you know, they're doing what they usually do. They're keeping the team running. Like we said, OG's playing at a high level and obviously the bench needs to step up. But if Pascal is not going to stay, if, if, if he can't get consistent, 
I'm not sure what the ceiling is of this Raptors team this season. But that brings us to the last thing that we're going to do. I, I want to play a little game of predictions going down the line with teams that are, are flirting with. In, if we had said these are the teams the Raptors are going to be flirting with, jockeying for position in the standings at the beginning of the season, you probably would have looked at me like I had six heads. But here we are. We're going to go one by one. And I'm going to ask you if the Raptors are going to finish above or below this team in the Eastern Conference standings at the end of the year. And the first team on the list, uh, they're, they're riding a, the, the highest high that they've had since LeBron James left. The Cleveland Cavaliers coming off a win against the Brooklyn Nets big three in their debut. Colin Sexton looked incredible. They're, they're one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, which is a huge switch up from the past couple of years. Are the Raptors going to finish above or below them in the standings? I think we're going to finish above them because I, I do think as good as the Cavaliers have been, and I think it's somewhat sustainable that they've been the worst offensive team in the league. And I, I think at some point that's going to come back to, to hurt them. And I also think that they're a candidate to make a big move at the trade deadline for, for moving Andre Drummond potentially. The team right now could look quite different in a few months' time. So, so I do think the Cavaliers, um, as, as nice of a surprise as they've been this season, I think they come back down to earth a little bit. And I think the Raptors are going to finish higher than them. The next team is the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young's been struggling a little bit, but he had a big game last night. Clint Capella has been a monster lately. John Collins playing a little bit better. So above or below Atlanta? My gut says below. I, I do think, like you said, Trey Young's been been down lately. I think he's going to pick it back up eventually. And this team is just loaded with talent. I think they're going to find their rhythm um, and they're going to be uh, a very good regular season, regular season team, if nothing else. So I, I think based on everything that we know right now, my gut says Raptors are below them. I had below Atlanta as well. I think that, you know, they've struggled with some injuries. Bogdan Bogdanovich has barely played. Danilo Gallinari has barely played. My guy Rajon Rondo has barely played. I think that they're going to eventually, once they get all the pieces back in place, we'll, we'll start seeing that team. And we already are starting to see them come mm-hmm. into their own a little bit more uh, in, into the team that people expect them to be for this upcoming season. So I had below the Atlanta Hawks as well. The next one is the team they just faced. They're facing them again later this week. The Miami Heat have struggled with injuries. They've been, I would say, outside of the Washington Wizards, have been hit as hard as anybody else by health and safety protocols due to COVID-19. Bam missed games. Jimmy Butler's missed games. Tyler Harrow's had a neck injury. Like I said, Myers Leonard and Avery Bradley were both out of the lineup the other night. So they've been struggling as as much as the Raptors have, and it's been a surprise after that Eastern Conference Finals run. So do you think that the Raptors finish above or below the Miami Heat? I'm going to say below as well. I do think that... I'm banking on the Heat getting healthy at some point, uh, Jimmy Butler coming back and everything like that. So I, I do think just generally this team, this Heat team is better than the Raptors um, with the caveat that, you know, that they do get everyone back in uniform sooner rather than later. And the question I think everybody's asking themselves, uh, when do the New York Knicks fall off? Are they going to maintain <laughs> this play for the rest of the year? Do you have them finishing above or below Julius Randle's New York Knicks? I have the Raptors finishing above. Uh, similar to the Cavs, I think they'll come back to Earth eventually. But it has also been nice to see New York playing well. And I do think Tibbs has, has kind of steered them in the right direction, um, defense first and everything like that. But I have concerns about their off, their offense. I think Julius Randle in particular, you wrote about it, some of it today on NBA.com, about how he's kind of a candidate to, to cool off um, sooner rather than later. So I, I do think the Raptors are a better team than the Knicks I'd have to agree with you there I had finishing above the Knicks as well this is a tricky one because sometimes they look like they are you know one of the better teams in the east and other times they they look like uh, the Charlotte Hornets that we know and love but uh, where do you think that the Raptors finish in, in relation to the Hornets above or below yeah this was a tough one I I, I think Raptors I'll go ahead of the Hornets um, they, they've been a nice surprise of all the season and they're another team that surprisingly has been one of the better defensive teams in the league 
And LaMelo Ball has been as good as advertised. Gordon Hayward's kind of getting back to his all-star ways. Terry Rozier is playing really well. Um, he's kind of, I don't know, I don't know if I want to say living up to that contract, but that contract doesn't look nearly as bad as it did when it was first um, handed out to him. But, but I do think, again, I have a little bit more faith in this Raptors team. Um, at least right now, my answer could change in a couple of weeks. But I do, I do think the Hornets have played well enough to kind of be in that play-in tournament mix. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the Raptors still finish above the Hornets, but I, I think the the Hornets are going to be one of those teams that occupy that one of those playing tournament spots. Because like you said, I'll, I'll go as far as saying that so far, Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier are both living up to the contracts they've gotten. Whether whether or not they maintain it, uh, that's to be seen. And like you said, they're, they've been surprisingly good defensively. I don't know how long that, that keeps up either because we're still in the small sample size phase of the NBA mm-hmm. season. Um, but I do think the Raptors finished above them. And the last one, this is a tough one because they started out hot. They've cooled off, but they've won a couple games in a row now, the Orlando Magic. Uh, I think the Raptors will finish ahead of them. Nikola Vucevic um, has been incredible. He's another guy who's who's looked like an all-star. He, he's a one-time all-star. And I think Markel Fultz, who looked really good to start this season, not having him for the rest of the way because of the ACL tear is a big loss for them because it puts more pressure on Carl Anthony, who's a rookie. And whether or not you're, you're high on him or not, it's really hard for a rookie to kind of make a difference on a playoff caliber team um, from the get-go, especially one that's drafted kind of mid to late first round. So, so I, do, I do think I have the Raptors ahead of them. I had the Raptors ahead of them as well. I think that if Markel Fultz hadn't gotten hurt, and it's crazy to say that because if, if you had said this two years ago that if Markel Fultz hadn't gotten hurt, it would make a difference in anything. I'm not sure someone would have believed you, but like you said with Cole Anthony, he just doesn't bring the same uh, level of defensive presence that Markel Fultz did to the Magic. And I think that... You know, as well as Nikola Vucevic is playing, I'm not sure that the players around him can keep it up enough that, I mean, they, they've stumbled their way into the playoffs two years in a row now, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's first round exits, uh, they've stumbled their way into the playoffs two years in a row now. And could they steal one of those playing tournament spots? Like, would I be that shocked if the Magic ended up in the playing tournament over the Hornets? Probably not, but I do think the Raptors finished above them. So good news for Raptors fans is that if you were to assume that the Milwaukee Bucks, Celtics, 76ers, Pacers, and Nets all finished in some order in the top five. Based on Scott's predictions, he had the Heat above and he had the Hawks above and everybody else below, which means the Raptors would be that number eight team playing in a playing tournament against potentially one of the other teams that we had just talked about, the Knicks, the Cavaliers, the Hornets, and the Magic. So it hasn't been the most ideal start to the year for the Raptors, but there's still plenty of time to turn around. We've been telling you guys that all season on this podcast so far. And as of right now, it seems like those are the teams that they're going to be jockeying for position. And every time they match up with those teams, it means a little bit more. So that's why those last two Hornets wins are big. And that's why the next upcoming matchup against the Miami Heat is big because you never know who they're going to be fighting for the final couple playoff spots when that time comes towards the end of the year. But that's all we have time for today. Until next time, make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Don't forget to check out NBA.com for all of Toronto Raptors coverage, league-wide coverage. We have fantasy sports coverage on there and all the Canadian coverage as well around the league. Uh, That'll do it for me today. For your host, Kyle Irving, Scott Rafferty, thanks for tuning in.